0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can follow our social pages on Twitter and on Facebook for the latest updates about the podcast. And you can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Really excited to be back with you folks today. Got some uh, you know, new breaking news. Uh, That came in this morning, so I'm excited to get that news out to you guys. Um, Good uh, last week with uh, Guest Friday. Hope you all enjoyed the conversation I had with Andrew Lydon, who came with me to uh, Patriots Camp uh, two weeks ago, or not this past weekend, but weekend before, so it was nice to to talk with Andrew. You can check that out still if you uh, have not listened um, to go along, go further with the Patriots theme. Uh, this week, we're doing a Patriots mailbag. So, uh, any questions you folks have about the Patriots, feel free to uh, send them my way. You can, you know, DM me on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you know, send a message on Facebook. Um, any sort of thing, uh, you could send my way, and I'll uh, make sure to try to answer all the questions. Um, we are uh, recording Thursday. Uh, This week because it is um, in advance of the Patriots uh, preseason game against the Giants. So I figured it would be um, easier to answer those questions uh, before the game so that, you know, we don't get questions that are all based on the game. Um, So I think that that, you know, covers what we're covering. Um, And I'll probably say this um, on Thursday, but I would like to announce that I will not be doing um, a podcast uh, next week or guest friday i'm on vacation so unfortunately no episodes next week but we'll be back the following week and continue with kind of our football uh, theme for the month so um, all that being said time to uh, get going i think and we're going to start uh, with the patriots with uh, some football thoughts that I've had. Um, Patriots, you know, obviously continue to uh, practice. All of last week, the Patriots do have a couple practices. Uh, this week, they're moving to the afternoon. So uh, if you're going out to catch practice today or tomorrow, practice starts at 4 o'clock. Um, and then obviously, preseason game Thursday, we'll talk a little bit about that in a couple minutes. But um, I think it just made sense to talk a little bit about um, you know, what is, what's been happening at training camp. And I think that, you know, clearly it's given, given some reaction, you know, both positive and negative, which, you know, I think is, is, is natural. You know, I think that it's the first time that you're able to see a football team together, you know, and I think it's easy to make, you know, these big proclamations about, whether things are really good or you know not good, you know I think that it goes either way. You know I think that clearly we all want everything to be going smoothly and perfectly, but it's just I think that's hard to. It's hard to have that expectation when you know you consider some of the changes that this team is going through um, in terms of who's running the offense and you know calling plays and you know different types of blocking schemes that they're looking at, you know, offensively. I think that, you know, again, not everything's going to be perfect. You know, if the team is going to go through growing pains, and I think that, you know, it is what it is. But I do think that, you know, kind of what's getting lost in the shuffle and kind of the big, you know, headline stuff of, oh, you know, the offense is struggling um, that, you know, obviously will grab headlines. That'll grab headlines with any team. You know, I think that any time an offense isn't, you know, doing exactly what it what it should or we, what we feel it should, you know, oftentimes that's what's going to steal the headlines. That's what's going to be what people are focusing on. And, you know, I think that, unfortunately, that kind of, hides kind of the like the defensive performance. and I think that that's kind of where I wanted to start today and talking about the defense. And I think that clearly it's kind of been lost in the shuffle that, you know, we're talking about the offense struggling when it's like, well, okay, but why is that? You know, I think it might be because the defense is playing really well. I think that you, you know, have heard great things about Christian Barmore in particular. Um, You know, Devon Godshaw has been really good. He's been very good in training camp since his uh, new contract a week or so ago. And so both he and Barmore have been excellent. And I think that, you know, they've had... They've done a great job with the defense that they've been able to, you know, get through the offensive line very easily. You know, you've heard many reports where... You know, there are guys that are just blowing up the line of scrimmage. And um, I think it's just a great sign that you have, you know, both of these guys in Godshawn Barmore. And I think that, you know, Barmore has a... and And I've talked about this plenty of times, that he has an opportunity to be just a total game wrecker and someone very similar to a Aaron Donald. And I know that that's really high praise, but, you know, you see this guy and you see how much he affects the opposing offense. And you saw it at, at times last year, you know, that he's able to blow a play up, get in the backfield. Um, so I think that, you know, the two of them have been really, really impressive. I think the defensive line's been really solid. I think that the secondary has been really good. Um, you know, briefly mentioned the linebackers, Raekwon McMillan, Mac Wilson bringing speed athletic ability you know that's something i talked about uh with andrew on the guest friday that mac wilson has great athletic ability you know i think it really gives the patriots an ability to be a good a, a good defender in coverage but also someone that can get through the line in blitz and i think the patriots always like guys that can do multiple things and so i think that's one of the great things about the linebacker but i think that you know cornerback the or the secondary, not, not, well, the cornerback, I think, you know, when you look at what Terrence Mitchell's done in camp, I think he's done a lot to kind of prove that he should be that second guy opposite Jalen Mills. But I think that he's been pretty solid throughout camp. I think Malcolm Butler has gotten stronger a little bit as camp has gone on, so that's a good sign. Um, And I think that, The Patriots really like Jack Jones and they're really high on him. And, you know, you have Jonathan Jones returning. So I think that, again, it's easy to point to and say, oh, you know, the offense is struggling. That's cause for concern, you know, and maybe it is, you know, I think maybe it is fair to have some skepticism as to how this offense will come together. But you look, you know, whether you've been at camp and you've noticed how good they've played whether you've read some of the things that people have you know tweeted or written articles about the defense as having a really good camp and i think that it's a blessing that the patriots can have you know one side of the ball that they feel really comfortable about and you know who knows the offense might be having a tough time because they're having to adjust to a bunch of different things they have you know a defense that has come together really quickly and has come together, I think, better than what we would have thought. But then again, all these things that I'm saying, they're all positives or negatives. It is just training camp. And we haven't seen this team play a game yet. And I think that it's its easy to you know, say, oh, this part's been bad, this part's been good, when it's like, okay, but that's practice. You know, I feel like people are taking a lot of stock out of the you know, scrimmage, the half-speed scrimmage that the team had on Friday night in, in stadium. And it almost is like we're taking a lot of stock out of a scrimmage that guys weren't even playing at full speed. There's no pads, you know, like, let's wait and see before they play a game. And honestly, like, let's wait and see before they even play a regular season game. You know, preseason is preseason, and it'll be good to get some game action, but it's like at the same time, I think that you know there are certain people that are trying to sound alarms a little too quickly and I think obviously Look that's going to grab headlines. That's going to be what people You know are most, you know, I guess interested about but I don't really think that it's time to panic I mean clearly Based on what we've seen from the offense. There is room for improvement 100% Um, and I think that one of the areas that, you know, I think Mac Jones has kind of improved is, you know, being willing to kind of be an improviser and once plays break down, you know, making the plays, running out of the pocket and, you know, he's shown some improvement on the deep ball as well. Um, I think in terms of Mac, I'm not very concerned, you know, I really think it just is going to be how the rest of the offense comes together, Um, you know, how do they fit in some of the new pieces. You know, Ty Montgomery in particular, how do they fit him in? How do they fit in Devonte Parker? Um, that's always just going to be interesting to see. And I think, you know again, and I'll probably repeat myself, it is just training camp. We've not seen this team play a game in a game situation, so we don't really know what it looks like. But on the other hand, you know if the Patriots come out and beat the Giants 30 to nothing and the offense plays unbelievably well, you know, that's not really something to be like, oh, the offense has figured it out now. You know, I think that it's training camp, it's the preseason, it's easy to get caught up in the big headlines that people are putting out there. Um, But I think that it's, it's also fair to kind of be, okay, let me see this team in, in game action. Let me see what they look like, you know, in games, because games and practices are different. You know, I don't, you, you definitely don't need me to tell you that. Um, but I think clearly the offense has room for improvement. You know, clearly with kind of the new setup with the coaching is going to take some time to get adjusted to, And, you know, again, I don't really think it's time to panic yet. You know, I think that let's kind of see how this game on Thursday goes. Um, you know, very curious to see how that goes. You know, I think starters will obviously play a portion of the game, probably not a lot of the game, you know, maybe you see them play a quarter or a half. Um, I think that that's most likely what you're going to see. Um, that, you know, Mac Jones in the starting offense, you probably see them play a couple series. You know, maybe you see them play the first half. I mean, I think with now the three preseason games, you know, the way that you approach preseason might be different than it was in prior years with the four games. Um, so it could mean that they want the offense to get more opportunity, but I think that at the most, you know, the starters are playing the first half um, because you do want to be careful of injury. You do want to be careful that, you know, no one has, has an injury that, you know, you wonder about, okay, why did they leave them out on the field? So I think definitely as, as I said to Andrew during the, at uh, the guest friday last week you know i tried to pay attention to the different groups that they used in different situations and i think clearly in a game that's something that you want to pay attention to you want to see you know when the patriots offense goes out there you know what sets are they using how many tight ends how many receivers you know who specifically is out there um, and then defense too you know pay attention to who's getting a lot of snaps at that linebacker you know take a look at the cornerbacks, you know, I think that paying attention to who's on the field in different situations uh, will definitely be key, but, you know, I think, again, it's a first preseason game, you know, let's remember to not get too high or too low, you know, clearly there will be bad plays that happen, and there probably will be good plays that happen, but I think, you know, preseason and training camp, it's all about, you know, working out the kinks so that, you are ready to go week one and you're in the best possible position you can be when you kick off uh, week one in September. So, you know, curious to see how this game goes. You know, I think that the Giants are an interesting team. You know, I think similar to the Patriots, they have some moving parts on offense, you know, bringing in Brian Dable, obviously the way that they, the way that they, you know, try to, do certain things on offense might be different than the year before. You know, Daniel Jones is a quarterback that I'm curious to see, you know, Daniel Jones definitely is not the best quarterback that this team is going to play, but he does have some good athletic ability. So I'm curious to see, you know, what those linebackers look like, how do they defend against, you know, someone like that, someone like Jones who can make plays with his legs. Um, it might honestly be a good test for kind of the middle of the field guys, whether it's linebackers or safeties, how do they keep up uh, with someone like Jones and his athletic ability? So that's definitely something to watch. Um, I think, you know, just seeing how the offense does, you know, how do they, how do they communicate, you know, how do, do drives stall to drives? Can they maintain long drives? You know, it's going to be curious to see what, what you see but again you know i think these games are a lot for you know bubble or fringe roster guys that you know really use the preseason and training camp to make a name for themselves and that really i think is what this time of year is all about you know the mac jones that guys that the patriots have spent good good portions of money on you know you know that they're going to make the team it's really for the guys who you know, are on that bubble and really trying to make a roster. So, um, you know, those are just some things to pay attention to. On, um, on Thursday, Patriots-Giants, uh, 7 o'clock start at Gillette. Patriots are um, at Gillette next week as well against the Panthers. And then they will travel to Vegas to play the Raiders on the 26th. Um, so the other part of Patriots news that made a lot of sense to cover. Uh, Richard Seymour uh, inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame over the weekend, obviously an illustrious career with the Patriots, uh, seven-time Pro Bowler, or actually five-time Pro Bowler with the Patriots, um, and a three-time All-Pro, did make a couple of uh, Pro Bowl teams in um, Oakland, obviously won Super Bowl three times with the Patriots, Uh, was also named to the Hall of Fame All-2000s team um, as well. So I think, you know, clearly Richard Seymour is a guy that, you know, I grew up watching, you know, really was a huge part of those early Super Bowl teams. You know, that's when I was growing up and watching sports for the first time. And I think, you know, he's one of those players that I think, you know, when you're growing up, you know that these players are good. But it's like, you don't really have as much of an appreciation for them, you know, maybe as you get older. So I think, you know, never a guy that was like, so dominant, you know, I think in terms of statistics, I should say, um, you know, is clearly a guy that, you know, had the ability to be a game wrecker, you know, and not to compare Christian Barmore to him, but I think that there are some similarities um, that both of those guys, athletic enough to play on the end, but also on the interior um and that's what richard seymour did you know played on the interior played on the inside and i think that was really really strong at both positions and you know clearly an all-time great and i think that when you think of those early patriot dynasty days you know he's one of the first names that you think of in terms of that defense you know ty law uh teddy brewski you know mike vrabel you think of him along the same same lines as those those guys, so, um, you know, definitely well-earned for, for Richard and, you know, a guy who was really good throughout his career, you know, was really good and really consistent, you know, I really think that up until the final year of his career where he only played eight games, you know, he was a pretty damn good damn good player uh, for a long period of time, you know, over his 12, 12-year career, um, so you know, definitely a well-deserved honor, uh, for him and definitely, you know, someone that, uh, yeah, you know, it just is really cool to be able to say that, you know, you saw someone like that, be able to play and, um, you know, yeah, it just is, uh, really kind of just the pinnacle of being a professional athlete to, you know, not only make professional sports, make, you know, the league, whatever it is, but to stay there and have longevity and, you know, obviously be talented, but be willing to do whatever it takes. And I think that, you know, he's a guy that I think all time, his statistics aren't going to jump out at you, you know, 57 and a half sacks in 164 games. But I think just the ability to be everywhere on the field um, that he was needed to be, you know, just made him a, a tremendous player. So, um, again, you know, congratulations to Richard and his family and, you know, be a guy that, uh, will be well-remembered in, in New England for, for a long time. So I think that's, you know, it for the Patriots. We're going to get into the Red Sox. I know that it's definitely a pretty, uh, controversial topic at the moment with, uh, how poorly this team has been playing and how poorly they played yesterday. And, um, you know, it's frustrating because I think that it's, it's clear that this team has some ability, you know, you saw them take two out of three against Houston. Um, but then, you know, you drop three out of four to one of the worst teams, if not the worst team in the American league. And, you know, it's kind of just how the season has gone. You know, it's, you know, Oh, this team plays well against a good team. And you think that, okay, they're going to turn the corner, and then they, you know, turn in a series like this, and it just is, it's just kind of who they are right now. You know, they're a team that's not bad enough to be, you know, a, 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 a basement team. I mean, I know literally they are in the American League East, but it's like they're only two games under five hundred. It's not like, you know, they're Kansas City. They're, you know, a horrible team that's, you know, 20 games under five hundred. You know, so it's like they're not exactly bad enough to be, you know, a team that's like a, a lottery team, like to use a, a term from another from another sport, you know, but they're not exactly good enough to be a playoff team. You know, you look at the standings and we'll take a look at that later. You know, the Red Sox are, are five games out of that last wildcard spot. So, you know, they're kind of in no man's land, you know, not bad enough to completely tank, but not good enough to you know, really kind of be competitive. And look, there still is a lot of baseball to be played. There's almost two months left in the season. But, you know, to this point, this Red Sox team is not really giving you any confidence that they can turn it around. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But it's just like, look, this team is going to have series where they play well against a good team. And you think, oh my God, okay, like they're getting off to the right track, but then they can't keep it together. And, you know, nothing was more you know, a microcosm of the season than this road trip, you know, you go into Houston, you go into Houston, you know, they're arguably the best team in the American league. Red Sox take two out of three, you know, have great pitching and great defense. Then they go to Kansas city and, you know, give up a walk-off home run. And then, you know, you have all those struggles defensively yesterday and you lose three out of four. And so it's just like, you know, I saw a lot on Twitter yesterday, people like, oh, you know, officially the season's over. And it's like, well, they're kind of one of those teams that it's not really going to be clear as to like, what's the point that, okay, they're too far out. You know, they're five games out, but it's like, who knows? Baseball is crazy. You know, crazy things have happened, but it's like, it doesn't really give you confidence that this Red Sox team can, you know, go 2007 Colorado Rockies and win like 20 games in 20... 20- win 20, win 20 and 21 games, you know, they're not they're not going to be doing something like that. I don't believe. Um, But I think, you know, clearly if this team wants to do anything, you know, there's big opportunities coming up with, you know, a couple games you have against division teams and teams that are going to go to the playoffs. You know, you got Atlanta coming in this coming in this week on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then you have the Yankees over the weekend. So, you know, who knows, you know, if, if if now was ever the time to get it together, you know, it's now. They really don't have much time, you know, 11 and 24 in their last 35. So it doesn't really give you a lot of confidence, but who knows, you know, baseball is a funny game. But I do think it makes sense, you know, obviously we're almost a week removed from the trade deadline. I think it does make sense to um, talk about the trades that were made. On uh, Monday and Tuesday, Um, so just taking a look at the trades that they named, or the trades the the players that they got, I should say, Uh, the Red Sox making a trade with Cincinnati on Monday, getting Tommy Pham from the Cincinnati Reds for a player to be named later, and then the Red Sox getting Reese McGuire from the White Sox in exchange for Jake Deakman. So those were. The deals that were made on um, August 1st and then obviously the Red Sox uh, trading Christian Vasquez to the Astros for uh, a couple of minor league players, Willier Abreu and Emmanuel Valdez. Um, and then the Red Sox did make a move on, on the trade deadline on the day of um, getting Eric Hosmer and a couple of minor leaguers in exchange uh, for Jay Groom. So You know, that was kind of an interesting deal. Um, The Red Sox, you know, the beneficiary of the uh, Juan Soto to San Diego trade is Eric Hosmer was uh, not going to Washington. So uh, San Diego had to make a separate trade, make the trade with the Red Sox. Red Sox get, you know, Hosmer, who obviously is a pretty big name. You know, I think that clearly not exactly the same player he was five years ago, but you know gives you some form of competency at first base uh, especially defensively so you know that at least was solid you know the red sox aren't on the hook for a lot of his contracts so you know hey if he helps the team that's great you know if not it's just like they did something at first base which is honestly like it's probably too late now that they did something but they did you know getting tommy Pham, i don't think was a bad move either you know he's a solid player um, you know, does whatever you ask him to. And I think has fit in fairly well with the team. I think Hosmer has as well. Uh, Reese McGuire's hit pretty well in the games that he's played. So, um, you know, I think that kind of the guys that they got, they have performed as expected. Um, you know, obviously trading Vasquez was a big surprise to a lot of people. Um, and I think that, you know, clearly he was a guy that was very popular with the organization and in the locker room and I think that look it's tough when guys like that get traded. You know, I think that it's there's, you know, a human side of it where, you know, it can affect other guys. You know, coming up with and playing so much of your career with one guy and then one day they're traded, you know, it's it's tough. You know, and I, I feel for guys like that that probably were frustrated with the move that they made. And I think that look, there are certain guys in that clubhouse that I think still think that this team can compete. And I think that that maybe was the thought process that, okay, you know, why are we trading a guy who has had a really good season? You know, why why don't we keep this guy? And I think that, look, I'm not gonna sit here and defend the move, but I will tell you that what I think happened is the Red Sox went into this trade deadline and thought that, okay, we need to make some moves to try to improve our competitiveness. Um, but then I also think that they wanted to take advantage of their best trade asset. And I ultimately think Vasquez was their best trade asset. And, you know, considering how well he's played this season, he's had a good couple of years, you know, he's a solid, very solid defensive catcher, you know, has had a great season offensively this year. Um, And I just think when you look at guys that could have been traded, J.D. Martinez, Nate Aldi. I think that Vasquez had the best value. And so I think what the Red Sox did is they took advantage of the player that had the highest value. They got him for a couple of minor league players. One of them is already playing well in A Worcester. So that's you know a good sign. So I think that, yes, it was a confusing move because the Red Sox made a couple moves that made you think that, okay, they're trying to compete. But then they also made a move that was, you know, very clear of, you know, a seller type of move. Um, and that's what I think a lot of people thought when Vasquez got traded that, OK, here we go. He's the first domino to fall. J.D. Martinez, Nate Valdi are going to be, you know, soon to follow. But the Red Sox must have thought differently and thought that, OK, these two guys that they held on to can help this team stay competitive. So I think that's just what they did. I'm not saying that I necessarily agree with it. Me personally, I probably would have hung on to Vasquez and try to see what you can do with some of the guys that you brought in. But, you know, the team made the decision that they made and it is what it is. I mean, long term, it doesn't really change anything because I think a lot of these guys are just, you know, I don't want to say rentals, but guys that will probably be here for this season and then will probably be gone. You know, Pham and Hosmer, I can't really see Hosmer sticking around much more, you know, it is possible, you know, he does have a connection with, with uh, Tristan Cassis, the Red Sox uh, top first base prospect that, you know, probably I uh, wouldn't be surprised if you see him at Bo- in Boston before the end of the year. Um, you know, they have a connection. I think that they've worked together in the off season. So, you know, there might be some value in keeping him around, but Tommy Pham isn't going to stay. You know, Reese McGuire probably is, you know, the Red Sox now losing Vasquez, you know, they're going to need a catcher. So, you know, he might stick around, but I think the other guys, I guess I'd be kind of surprised. Um, So again, you know, long-term doesn't really change a whole lot. Um, You know, I think that ultimately, if I were to categorize what they did at the deadline, they sold high on, you know, their best, sold high on their best asset and, you know, made some moves that give them the opportunity to stay competitive i guess you know i think competitive is a really strong word for this team right now but you know i think i guess you want to give the team a chance because you know who knows there might be guys in that clubhouse that really would have been upset if the red sox just were sellers and sold everyone off and it may you know lead them to be like okay why do i want to be here if this team is just gonna you know pack it in you know and i think that i don't want to you know name names but i think bogarts is definitely one of those guys that i think you know believes in this group and he's said it plenty of times over the last couple of weeks that you know he still believes in this team and i think that maybe the team you kind of did him a service that said okay you know we're going to make a trade but we're still going to try to stay competitive so you know we'll see what happens but i think don't hold your breath for this team you know suddenly going on a run where they rip off 15 wins in 20 games. Don't expect to see something like that. you know, I think we're just going to kind of see more of the same. Um, there were some important you know health updates that have come through uh, the, the grapevine the last couple of weeks. Uh, Christian Arroyo's back in Boston um, had a really good game on Saturday night went three for four. Um, so he's back, he's healthy. Kike uh, Hernandez seems to be on the uptick in coming back. Michael Waka, I think is back soon. Um, so the Red Sox are kind of getting some guys back. You know, Trevor Story, I think, is still kind of a ways away. You know, had the, the, uh, the issue with his hand after he got hit by a pitch. So, you know, he's a guy that you're probably not going to see for a good period of time. Um, you know, obviously no timetable on Chris Sale. Um, so, you know, we'll see. We'll see if these guys can get back healthy. You know, that's really the only hope that, you know, anyone has of this team getting back into contention is getting healthy um, and seeing if they can go on a run. So, you know, that'll be something to pay attention to. The Red Sox also um, announced that they had uh, released Jackie Bradley this past week, which, you know, is tough. You know, Jackie's a guy that I think meant a lot to this Red Sox organization, you know, similar to similar to Vasquez. So, you know, it's tough to see him go, but I think clearly um, where he was at the plate was not really what they needed. Um, and I think clearly is a great defensive player. But I think the Red Sox kind of wanted to give opportunities to other guys. And, you know, I think that uh, Mr. Duran at the moment is probably the most uh, embattled Red Sox player I've seen in a really long time. Um, so the Red Sox, you know, I guess, given him an opportunity to be the every day center fielder. And, you know, it's not exactly going well. Um, I think clearly if you had watched the game yesterday, you know, it was kind of a disaster. So, you know, I think that the Bradley move tells you that, okay, they really are trying to back this kid and give him an opportunity, but you know, he's not exactly, you know, giving you a feeling that, okay, you know, they're really in good hands. You know, I think that I've said my piece about him that, you know, they're going to keep playing him. And I think that, you know, is a guy who made some comments after the game yesterday that you know, they back him and they trust him. And I think that that's one of the things I love about Alex Cora is, you know, he's a guy that's going to back his players. He's going to go to bat for his guys. And, you know, I, it's easy to dump on Duran right now. It really is. I mean, he's had a hard time. You know, he said some some things in the media that have rubbed people the wrong way. You know, he was one of the guys that, you know, didn't get vaccinated. It's unclear if he still is unvaccinated. And I think that just a combination of those things and his play, you know, a lot of people are really down on him right now, but it's like, Hey, he's a guy that is a really high prospect. And I think the Red Sox believe in him. And I think that, look, a lot of things are going against him right now, but, you know, I still think that hopefully he can turn it around. And I think that, you know, the only way that you're going to improve is to keep trying to get better every day, you know, and I think that he's, not making any excuses. He wants to try to get better. And look, that's really all you can hope for. You know, maybe that's, maybe that's an unpopular thing to say about him, but you know, it's, um, I kind of feel bad for him at a certain point. Um, So, you know, we'll see what happens the rest of the year Uh, with him. You know, clearly he's a guy that, you know, is only started playing the outfield over the last couple of years. You know, I think he came up through the system um, as an infielder. So, or I think like he played the infield when he was drafted and then the Red Sox have been playing him in the outfield since then. I'm not trying to say that it's an excuse because it's not. You know, you saw how bad it was yesterday, but, you know, to be curious to see what what you see from him the rest of the season. So I think that that's going to do it for the Red Sox. Um, Obviously, they have uh, two games set with the defending champion Braves this week. On Tuesday and Wednesday, the Red Sox are off today as a travel day, I believe. Then um, the Red Sox have a makeup game against Baltimore um, on Thursday, and then they welcome in the Yankees for uh, a three game set. So the Red Sox will have six six game homestand. Then they will be on the road in Pittsburgh and Baltimore next week. So a lot of division opponents coming up in the month of September. So. Maybe the Red Sox can turn the page. Who knows? Uh, but we're going to move on. We're going to talk Bruins, and as I alluded to at the uh, top of the podcast today, there is some big breaking news that came in just before we started to record uh, this morning. Patrice Bergeron is back. He has officially uh, signed a one-year deal worth two point five million. He can also earn an additional two point five million in. Um, incentives. So, you know, great to see him back in the fold. You know, I think that to some of us, it was just kind of a matter of time before this got announced. You know, I know that there's a lot of talk on Twitter right now about the uh, performance uh, bonuses and, you know, overages. And there's some crazy math that the Bruins can push money over to next year. I don't really understand all of that, but Certainly, if you're on Twitter, there will definitely be people that can explain it better. But the important thing is Patrice Bergeron's back one more year, $2.5 million. I mean, just just the idea that the Bruins are paying him $2.5 million is just hysterical considering how good he was last year. So um, he's back for season 19. Uh, great to see. You know, I think clearly there still is a bit of a question as to Uh, what this team is going to look like opening night, but at least we know uh, Bergeron's back in the fold. And, you know, who knows? Is this going to be it for him? Is this going to be kind of a farewell tour? I mean, if you know Patrice, he probably doesn't really want a lot of extra attention, but you got to wonder if this is going to be possibly it for him. But clearly, if he's healthy, he's still at the top of his game. So it's like, he's a guy that it's like if he's gonna walk away he will do it under his own he will do it on his own terms so obviously you know he's back he's back as the bruins number one center you know still no word on david Krejci whether he's going to come back um, so you know bruins announcing bergeron's uh, new contract. So he's back you know obviously i think still recovering from the elbow procedure i think he should be ready for training camp in uh, about a month or so so Good to see him back. You know, I think that if there was any concern about what the roster was maybe going to look like opening night, you know, he kind of quells some of that, gives you the number one center that can slide in. And, you know, to be curious to see what that top line looks like um, at the beginning of the season. Bruins obviously still um, will want to get a contract extension done with David Pasternak. Um, So you could see him on the top line. You could see Jake DeBrusque up there. Taylor Hall, you know, I think of any of those guys you could possibly see on the top line. Pavel Zaka, you know, Bruins still need to get a contract done with him. Possibility that you could see him up on the first line. Um, Very curious to see what that's going to look like. But the important thing is he's back. Uh, The Pavel Zaka arbitration hearing is on Thursday. So possibility the Bruins do have to go to arbitration with him. But the Bruins are probably hoping that they can get a contract done uh, before that date, and that is often uh, what happens with arbitration hearings. That you know, guys are scheduled to go to arbitration, and then the you know team comes to terms. I mean, they think that the the cap hit, which we talked about last week, is probably not going to be you know anything more than three or three and a half million. I mean, I think that his qualifying offer is three million, so you got to think it's somewhere in between three and 3.5. So that's probably what the number is going to be for him. You know, I think that the Bruins would like to have him signed in a multi-year deal so they don't have to think about, you know, losing him in a year. And so I'm wondering if maybe that is potentially the holdup in terms of getting his contract signed. Um, The Bruins did announce last week that their uh, third-round pick in 2021 Brett Harrison had signed his entry-level deal, so good possibility that you see him in Providence at some point. Um, I think still is playing in junior, but obviously we'll hear more about that. But the important thing is he will be at pro camp with the Bruins um, in September, so I'll be curious to see uh, what he looks like. So three-year deal, 859000 per year. He had... 61 points in 65 games in the ohl last season so he's a guy that you know the bruins are definitely looking at in terms of you know kind of the future of the center position so good to get him signed you know curious what he looks like you know fabian Lysel will also be um, at pro camp for the bruins as well after he uh, plays the world junior championships Um, very curious to see what his training camp looks like you know I think that he's a guy that clearly has a lot of talent and you know at a position where the Bruins are kind of in need you know I think that you can never have enough scoring wingers um the big question with him though I think is is he ready for NHL action and you know clearly has put on some size since being drafted you know I think now he's up to six feet 180 pounds and so I think you know I've kind of maintained this Viewpoint with him that, look, if he impresses and he blows everyone out of the water at training camp, has a great preseason, there's no reason that you shouldn't play him at the NHL level. But, you know, if he kind of struggles with the physicality, if the Bruins think that he needs some seasoning, he'll start the year in Providence. You know, I think it's very, very fair to wonder if he starts the year in Providence and then comes up to the Bruins at some point very similar to what David Posterock did when he first came up. Um, I think that you're more than likely going to see that. You know, I don't think that Fabian's going to make the team out of training camp, uh, but who knows? You know, the team could be really high on him. You know, clearly with Bergeron signing and the contract for Zaka, the Bruins are going to need to move some salary. So, you know, who knows? If he has an impressive camp, it could, you know, encourage the Bruins to trade Craig Smith and say, okay, you know, we'll try Fabian, Fabian at first, second, or third line kind of see what he, how he does. Um, but I still think that, yes, it's likely that you see him start the year in Providence, but don't be surprised if you see him in Boston um, at some point this season. Um, and clearly, worst-case scenario, you see him play at the end of the regular season, you know, some games that, you know, maybe don't really matter as much in the standings that you can you know, get him in for a game or two. But, you know, clearly the kid's got skill and he's got speed and I think fits in really well to today's NHL. So, again, don't be surprised. You see him in Boston um, at some point this season. So I think that's going to be it for the Bruins. Move on to some quick Celtics stuff. The uh, Celtics announced their preseason schedule last week, a couple of games at TD Garden October 2nd and October 5th against the Charlotte Hornets, and then the Toronto Raptors, and then October 7th and the 14th. The Celtics will be traveling to Greensboro to play Charlotte again, and then they will play Toronto in Montreal on October 14th. So all four of these games will be on NBC Sports Boston. Um, That first game is a Sunday and the fifth is a Wednesday, and then Friday, and then the following Friday, in Toronto. The regular season schedule, I think, could be announced in the coming weeks. Um, I think that it's me speculating that the NBA might be waiting to see if uh, Mr. Durant gets traded, but you know we've not really heard anything about that recently. So uh, schedules out. Red Sox or the Celtics play a pair of games against Charlotte and Toronto to prepare for the NBA season. Uh, The Celtics also uh, signing deals with a couple of big men, kind of veteran guys for lack of a better term. I mean, veteran in the sense that they've been in the NBA for a long time, not veterans that they're old. You know, the Celtics coming to terms with the Noah Vonley who um, is local, was born in uh, Salem, Massachusetts, went to high school um, in New Hampshire at the New Hampton School. Um, then played collegiately at Indiana for a season, was a lottery pick in the 2014 draft by Charlotte. He's bounced around throughout his NBA careers, played for uh, seven different teams, including the Nets, played four games last year for the Nets, uh, most notably had his best season with the New York Knicks, played 68 games in the 2018-19 season, made 57 starts average eight points and eight rebounds so the Celtics giving him an opportunity you know a guy that has good size you know he's 6'10 250 you know gives the Celtics some good a good potential guy to be that backup center and you know the Celtics aren't looking for anything flashy you know really I think they're looking for a guy who can play 12 to 18 minutes a night um, and kind of fill in what Daniel Tice did now Maybe it's not necessarily one guy. The Celtics did also sign uh, Bruno Caboclo to a, a contract. So both of these guys uh, will be competing for roster spots in training camp. So, um, you know, Caboclo also a big man, you know, 6'9", 220, you know, is old, slightly undersized. But I think, you know, he's a guy that has a lot of potential uh, Raptors pick also in the 2014 draft. Um, but he has bounced around. He's played for four different teams, um, including the Raptors, most recently played for the Rockets last season, appeared in six games. So, you know, again, neither of these guys are probably going to set the world on fire, but the Celtics taking a chance on Noah which I think, you know, again, I wouldn't expect anything crazy from him, but, you know, he's a guy that does have good athleticism, um, you know, can rebound, can score on the interior. And I think that, you know, if the Celtics get him and Kavaklo to, you know, recreate Daniel Tice in the aggregate, I guess, um, you know, that's not something I'm super worried about. You know, I think that when you get closer to training camp, the Celtics may bring in another, you know, older vet. You know, I think that you could see that happen, but um, the Celtics bringing in a couple of these guys and, Uh, The Celtics also, you know, signing Cavangeli to a uh, contract after uh, the summer league. So, you know, he's another guy that will compete for both of these guys uh, for some minutes next season. So definitely, you know, pay attention to training camp and the preseason. Um, If all three of these guys, you know, continue to, you know, be a part of this team, and maybe they can get some minutes, see how they look um, in the preseason. So... I think that that is going to be it for the Celtics. We're going to move on, talk a little bit about the Revolution. You know, uh, over here, we've been uh, screaming for uh, some more offense and and some wins. Uh, the Revolution did both of those things over the weekend, getting a huge road win in Orlando, 3-0 over um, Orlando City SC, and, you know, did the revolution score goals and you know did they ever scored three goals for the first time since may when they won uh when they beat cincinnati fc three to two so three nothing over the weekend saturday in orlando revolution getting goals from matt polster henry kessler henry kessler and wilfred Captoom. so really this was a game that uh you really felt good about um really gutsy great road performance you know charlie davies if you watch the game on um, Channel 38, had a lot of really positive things to say about the, about the team and this game. And, you know, a hard-fought, grinded-out game that you did not have a lot of your big-time offensive performers. And the Revolution came up big, you know, and really a game that Charlie said really has the ability to be kind of a season-defining win. You know, the Revolution in a spot where they really needed a win Against a team that you know they're chasing in the standings, and you know the Revs came up big. You know I really think a couple of guys had great games. You know Polster obviously, Matt, uh, Tommy McNamara had a couple of assists. Um, the Revolution very you know opportune opportune with their chances, um, so they get the three goals, and uh, things are things are starting to kind of look up for this team. So you know hopefully they can keep the momentum going. Revolution have a couple games uh, next week. They have uh, DC United next Saturday, and then they play Toronto on, I think, Wednesday uh, the following week. So the Revolution have a couple games against teams that they should beat. So, you know, hopefully the Revolution can kind of be on the right track with uh, this win on Saturday. Um, Really was impressed with the shorthanded group, and... How much grit they showed in a road game that they needed. You know they really, really needed this game, and you know I really thought they did. Played tremendously well for um, a group. You know missing Gustavo Bo, missing uh, Dylan Barrero. You know missing the offensive guys that are typically involved in the goal scoring. Um, you know I think that it's. You know it's going to happen with Gustavo Bo. You know he's had. Uh, Hamstring issues throughout his tenure uh, with the revolution. He's missed the last couple of games and uh, To be perfectly honest the revolution can't expect that they're going to get performances like Saturday Throughout the rest of the season, you know, I think that they need their offensive weapons They need their goal scorers to be able to play and you know I think that down the stretch Gustavo Bo really is going to need to be healthy for this team, you know He's been really really good when he's been on the field you know, and I think especially with losing uh, Bucsa earlier this season, the Revolution really need as many, you know, offensive playmakers as they can get. You know, the Revolution brought in Sebastian Lejet and uh, Josie Altagor. Neither of those moves worked out, and, you know, both of them are now not with the team, you know, on loan with a couple of uh, international teams. I can't remember at the moment. But uh, the Revolution also made a couple of, uh, roster moves. I believe that they brought in Christian McCoon, who is a, a defender, and then also, or they, excuse me, the Revolution sent uh, Leget to Dallas in a trade, um, and then Josie Altador joining a uh, Liga MX team, uh, Puebla, and just bear with me for a second. I know that the. The Revolution did make, a, did make a move to bring in a goaltender. The name is escaping me at the current moment. Um, and then there was another player that they brought in who I'm also uh, forgetting. So if you just bear with me for a moment, I can find. I can find uh, who they brought in. Just give me a brief minute. There you go. Clement Diop from Inter Miami. was the goaltender that the Revolution brought in. Um, and then the Revolution also bringing in um, attacking midfielder Ishmael Tajiri-Shradi from um, LAFC. Um, so those were the moves that the Revolution made. You know, Legette and um, Josie Altidore going out. Diop, Tejuri Shradi, and Makun coming in. Uh, the Revolution got Christian McCoon from Charlotte FC. So the Revolution kind of busy at the uh, kind of uh, transfer window, uh, if you will. Um, so kind of curious to see Tejuri Shradi um, is a guy that's played really well against the Revolution um, in a couple of games over the last couple of years. So hopefully you see him fit in a little bit better. Uh, to this team offensively than Legette did. So, you know, hopefully there are, you know, reinforcements that come in. But really, it's Gustavo Boat. You need him to stay healthy for for this team to, you know, be get back to kind of the team that we thought they were going to be, you know, coming into the season. So, obviously mentioned the Revolution will play their next game against The, um, against DC United recently, uh, changed coaches. Wayne Wayne Rooney is now coaching the team. Um, so the revolution against DC United Saturday night, 730 at Gillette. And then the revolution will travel to Toronto Wednesday night, the 17th, um, couple of games against teams that they should beat. So you know, hopefully the Revolution can move up in the standings. Revolution, I think, still stayed the same in terms of the standings, but they are now even with four other teams, or three other teams, I should say, in the amount of points. All teams that they're tied with have 30 points. Um, to take a quick look closely, Revolution officially in 10th place, tied with the teams in 9th, eighth and seventh, all with 30 points. So Revolution really need to separate themselves. Uh, The MLS All-Star Game is also uh, this week. Carlos Gil, I think the only Revolution player that will be participating. So I think with uh, all that being said about the uh, local groups, local teams, uh, we will get to some notes from around the sports world again I would like to uh, just remind you guys to uh, send in questions for this week's mailbag uh, talking about the Patriots uh, ahead of their preseason game Thursday night. So uh, please send in any Patriot questions you have um, and I'll answer them and get the uh, episode out to you guys on Thursday before the game. So you can kind of get into the Patriots spirit, if you will. Um, so now we're going to take a look at baseball The Dodgers with a three-game sweep of the new-look Padres after they completed the big trade, getting Juan Soto from the Washington Nationals. Um, And they also got Josh Bell. So, you know, Padres clearly a team uh, going for it, not really concerned with losing the top prospects that they lost. they really, really, you know, going for it. But, you know, clearly the Dodgers, in my opinion, still a class of the National League West. So would be curious to see how they do in um the playoffs Jacob deGrom returned to the mound for the Mets and was you know just really just really really strong um you know the Soto trade really kind of was the big move um of the trade deadline Yankees made a couple of moves um you know Houston made some moves you know obviously bringing in uh, Vasquez but you know I think honestly San Diego's the team that in a lot of people's minds, you know, won the trade deadline with the big moves that they made. So be curious to see how they do down the stretch and into the playoffs. Um, Taking a look at the standings currently, uh, the Yankees, despite losing five straight games, are still nine and a half games in first place ahead of second place Toronto. The Red Sox, as we stated, currently in the last place in the East, 54 and 56. In the American League Central, Minnesota's lead is now just a single game over Cleveland and two games over Chicago. In the American League West, you have Houston running away with the division, an 11-game lead over second-place Seattle. In the National League, you have the Mets, who are starting to get some distance uh, from the Braves. They are now six and a half games in front of Atlanta in the East in the National League Central Cardinals with a two game lead over Milwaukee. And then the Dodgers, 15 and a half games up on second place San Diego. And then the wild card spots in the American League, Toronto, Tampa, and Seattle in the top three. And then the teams chasing them, Baltimore and Cleveland, two games back, Chicago's three games back. And then the Red Sox are five games back. In the National League, Atlanta, Philadelphia, and San Diego, in the wild card spots, with Milwaukee just a game and a half back. So, another bit of baseball news that came in this week was the uh, passing of uh, Vince Scully, one of the greatest uh, sports announcers of of all time. Really, I mean, not just a not just a great baseball announcer, but just a great just sports announcer and i think just uh made sense just to talk about him a little bit and just kind of what he meant to the sports world what he meant to major league baseball and the dodgers organization you know definitely a a broadcaster that a lot of us are familiar with you know listening to you know old calls you know me personally he uh, was a he was an announcer um for like a, like a couple of video games that they played back in the day. Um, and that was like the first time I ever heard his voice. And, you know, just like uh, not only a great broadcaster, but just a fantastic person and, you know, someone that you just wanted to spend spend time with and spend hours with, you know. definitely is one of those announcers that, you know, when we talked about when I had Mike Craddy and Justin Miller on you know, sports broadcasting camp, you know, he was always the someone that, like, everyone tried to, you know, emulate. And, you know, clearly a guy that clearly a guy that um, just had the perfect voice for baseball. You know, it's just like you listen to any of his game broadcasts and you just were like, you know, the idea that he would do anything else, you know, was just crazy. Um just had the perfect broadcaster's voice. Um, which is just you know, you don't really you don't often find that. You know, there are a lot of guys that do play by play for baseball teams, but I mean, you're you know, just the perfect baseball voice. You know, really that's kind of the the only thing that you can say, um, about Vin. So, you know, definitely uh thoughts and prayers out to his family. I mean, just a tremendous man and a tremendous broadcaster. So he will be uh, deeply missed by the entire uh, Major League Baseball community. And then also, there was some news this morning that um, Dennis Eckersley is uh, retiring after the season in the Nesson booth. So, you know, another great broadcaster that, you know, a lot of people enjoy listening to, especially around here. So um, a tremendous job that he did at Nesson, I think that uh, was one of the the few guys that you really enjoyed listening to, you know, whether the team was good or bad, you know, clearly the Red Sox this year have had their issues, but he's been a guy that's always been fun to listen to. So i um, definitely happy trails to Eck uh, for his uh, tremendous work, you know, in the Nesson booth, obviously he'll still be working through the, through the rest of the season, but um definitely a a well-loved figure in the uh, Red Sox community. Um, So I think we're going to move on to talk about the NFL. Uh, It was reported the other day that uh, Kareem Hunt of the Browns had requested a trade. Apparently the team uh, was not interested in that request, so that's something to keep your eye on. Um, It also was announced that Nikhil Harry with uh, the Chicago Bears uh, suffered a, a severe ankle injury, so you just your heart breaks for a guy like that who just seems like he's had bad breaks uh, throughout his young career. So you know, hopefully it's not too bad he can get on the field um, as soon as possible. Um, you know, obviously, Hall of Fame induction with Richard Seymour uh, was very neat. Um, some other players that were, um, inducted, former uh, San Francisco 49ers defensive lineman uh, Bryant Young, former uh, Jaguars offensive t- offensive uh, lineman Tony Basilli and um, let's see. This is not <laughs> – let me just – Give me just a second. Sorry, I'm feeling like I'm really unprepared today. Um, Dick Vermeil was was also um, inducted as well. Um, was a well known coach, um, Art McNally, who is a referee, first official to be enshrined. Um, So definitely a a fun, a fun weekend for uh, professional football and players get inducted. Those are just among some of the names that were um, inducted this weekend. So always a, always a really cool event, you know, as we said with, with Richard Seymour, just, you know, guys that, you know, work so hard to, you know, fulfill their dreams, make it to uh, professional sports and, you know, be able to be lucky enough to play as long. And, you know, it, have an impact on the game as a lot of these guys did, so um, it's definitely a cool part of of the summer. You know, kind of the dog days of summer, if you will. Um, it's always a really cool event that they do that. Um, so I think that's probably it for talking about the NFL. We're gonna get to some other thoughts from around the NHL and the NBA. Mason Appleton signing a new deal with the Winnipeg Jets. Um, then the Flames, giving an eight-year extension to Jonathan Huberdeau after he was acquired from the Panthers a couple of weeks ago. Um, Yakov Trenin and Keegan Kolasar signing deals with Nashville and Vegas, respectively. Um, and then Team USA announcing their uh, World Junior uh, Championship roster. And uh, Bruins have a uh, prospect that was selected to the team, Riley Duran who uh, currently plays for the currently plays for Providence in the NCAA, was a Bruins draft pick in 2020, so he made the team. So if you're interested in World Juniors, definitely tune into that, uh, which I think starts very soon. Um, we've actually announced the schedule on NHL.com if you want to go see. Uh, the tournament starts tomorrow, and then we'll run through August 20th. Team USA is in Group B with Sweden, Germany, Switzerland, and Austria. Group A, Canada, Finland, Czech, Czechia, Slovakia, and Latvia. Team USA plays their first game tomorrow at 10 p.m. against Germany. So uh, also an opportunity if you would like to watch uh, Fabian Lysel obviously playing for Sweden. Um, And then Dons Lakmelis also plays for Latvia, I believe he was a uh, draft pick this this year, um, in the fourth round, I believe. So you can watch all three of those uh, Bruins, uh, property, uh, players, whatever you want to call that. <laughs> in the NBA, um, seemed like uh, the Lakers and LeBron James had had productive contract talks. So maybe he'll he'll return. Um, obviously, we talked about some tampering with a couple of free agent deals, but doesn't really seem that there's anything else, anything going on with that. I mean, they're probably investigating, but obviously no, no new news at that point. Um, so I think that's probably gonna do it for me this week. And, you know, definitely tune in to, to special edition of Guest Friday on Thursday, Patriots mailbag again you know, send me any questions you have about the Patriots, um, you know, wherever you want to send me anything, you know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, you know, DM, if you want to comment on any of the uh, podcast links or wherever uh, you want to get my attention, ask your question, and I'll try to get to all of them on Thursday. Um, so we will talk to you then. Everyone stay cool. You know, it can Always follow the the social pages on Twitter and Facebook. Pay attention to the latest updates. You can listen on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well. Be back with you folks on Thursday.